guys kick in if you want to talk about anything as I maybe mention certain things and, uh, and help. Well, in his uh, opening message, talked about the three, the three areas that uh, as we approach our vocation, uh, one of three, he said, you know, you'll know. You'll know which one you're in. The first one being <clears throat> that uh, we, we go to work, we view our vocation as a place of, uh, of excitement, of uh, a place to derive our significance, our self-worth. And uh, the second one is we go to work so we can earn the money to do what we want to do. And then the third one is we view our we view our vocation in light of that our our business, our job, our vocation is our pulpit. Not our only pulpit, but it's a pulpit we spend a lot of time at. And so those men and women that we see come across our lives, it's uh, they're providential, and we. If we've got it in focus, we see them as providential. And therefore, that should influence how we respond in the relationships and how we treat those people. And that will be a distinctive of ours. And how we do that is going to be a reflection of the value system that we have decided to live our lives by. Now, when I use a value system, we could interchange it with priorities. Call them priorities, if you would. Uh, or, um, so uh, I want to just spend a little time on the value system and uh, so give you a few principles, consequences. And I want to look at two value systems, the world value system and God's value system. And so let me, uh, I had this little letter come by, uh, come across my desk recently. Let me just read it to you. You probably won't be able to associate with it, but let's, let's try anyway. It's entitled, Accelerating Complexity and Velocity Spelled Disaster. This is from a friend of mine. He says, recently I spent time with a couple whose marriage was in serious trouble. Both are talented, highly educated, and eminently successful in their professions. They possess lovely children and a beautiful home a designer lifestyle. The nub of their problem, it seems to me, is their mad rush to gain sense of self-worth and acceptance through high achievement and the incessant acquisition of things. The net effect is the accelerating pace and complexity of life that has, have spun out of control, causing a breakdown in relationships. Consequently, both parties have lost touch with each other and are traveling in different orbits and often in a contrary frequency. The tragic, the tragic situation reminds me of a worldwide convention that Satan held. In his opening address to his evil angels, he said, We can't keep the Christians from going to church. We can't keep them from reading their Bibles and knowing the truth. We can't even keep them from forming an intimate, abiding relationship experience in Christ. If they gain that connection with Christ, our power over them is broken. So let us go, so let them go to the churches, let them have their conservative lifestyle, but steal their time so they can't gain that relationship with Christ. That is what I want you to do, angels. Distract them from gaining hold of their Savior and maintaining that vital connection throughout their day. Keep them busy in the non-essentials of life and invent innumerable schemes to occupy their minds. Tempt them to spend, 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 and borrow, borrow, borrow. Persuade the wives to go to work for long hours and the husbands to work six, seven days a week, 10, 12 hours a day so they can afford their empty lifestyle. Keep them from spending time with their children. As their family fragments, soon their home will offer no escape from the pressures of work. Overstimulate their minds so that they cannot hear that 
still, small voice, entice them to play the radio and the cassette player whenever they drive, to keep the TV, the VCR, the CDs, and the PC going constantly in their homes, and see to it that every store and restaurant in the world plays non-biblical music constantly. This will jam their minds and break their union with Christ. Fill the coffee tables with magazines and newspapers. Pound their minds with the news 24 hours a day. Invade their driving time with billboards. Flood their mailboxes with junk mail, junk order catalogs, sweepstakes, and every kind of newsletter and promotional offering of free products, services, and false hopes. Keep skinny, beautiful models on the magazines so husbands will believe that external beauty is what's important and they'll become dissatisfied with their wives. Ah, that will fragment their families quickly. Even in their recreation, let them be excessive. Have them return from their recreation exhausted, disquieted, unprepared for the coming week. Don't let them go in nature and reflect upon God's wonders. Send them to amusement parks, sporting events, concerts, movies instead. Keep them busy, busy, busy. And when they have met, and when they meet for spiritual fellowship, involve them in gossip and small talk so that they leave, their, leave with troubled consciences and unsettled emotion. Go ahead, let them be involved in soul winning but crowd their lives with so many good causes that they have no time to seek power from Christ. Soon they will be working in their own strength, sacrificing their health and their family for the good of the cause. It'll, it will work. It will work. That's sobering, isn't it? Marcella. There's a young lady from Mexico that uh, lives in Phoenix. She comes in uh, each week and helps my wife clean the house. And just a couple of weeks ago, Marcella, and I quote her, she said to my wife, she said, Mrs. Parker, you are so happy. She said, I clean other homes, giant homes, beautiful homes but they're not happy. They hire everything done. They don't do anything. They don't even have food in the refrigerator to cook. My wife said, maybe the difference is our faith in God. She said, oh, they would say they go to church too, but they're not happy. See, our value system will determine our lifestyle, our witness, and our eternity. What is your value system? Let's look at two. The only two. Let me pray. Lord, we're all tired. You have been so good to us this weekend. and uh, You've challenged us with your truth. Some of your truth has really, really challenged us to uh, go away and uh, search the scriptures to make sure it was you speaking. So, Lord, I pray that you would uh, um, lift up each one of us right now. I pray that you would be the teacher and that you would minister to each of us right where, right where we are and accomplish your purposes. In Christ's name we pray. I came to Christ when I was 32. And... Uh, my dad, I was raised on a ranch, and so my dad started me in business about 10 years old. He gave me some cattle, some feed. I had to feed them. It's pretty hard not to make a profit. Your, your cost of sales is pretty low when you have both of those given. <coughs> and so I've been in the marketplace ever since. I had a little business to help work myself through college and so on. And, uh, and uh, So everything had kind of worked to some extent. And uh, I come along at 32 and I meet the Savior. And I think to myself, you know, it hasn't been too bad up here in 32 years, so man, what can happen now with God on my side? I mean, <laughs> I mean there's no limitation. 
<laughs> well, for the next six years, gentlemen, you would not have wanted to be my partner <laughs> or my investor. I started two new businesses and they both failed. I spent six years and everything I touched turned to crap. And I didn't have anything, anyone around me to help me like uh, Tony had Don Whaley. And so uh, I love Jesus. And in retrospect, here's what, and I don't want to be presumptuous because I never know what God's doing for sure, but, but here's what I think partly was happening is that, yes, I came to Christ and He turned me upside down immediately as far as I knew He was there and He gave me peace and I was quick to tell anyone. But that didn't change my value system. And if you'd have watched me as I went in the business uh, arena, I'd tell people about Jesus, but the way I conducted business was off of the value system I'd had for 32 years and had developed. And I think what God was doing was He was uh, shutting me down and saying, hey, you don't do it that way anymore. You have to adopt my value system. And so it went for six years. Let me... I want, I want to look at two verses that really lay out the world's value system and God's value system. And uh, I'll give you... Why don't you go ahead and begin to turn over to Jeremiah chapter 9. Twenty-three and twenty-four. Let's look at those. And I want you to keep your Bible open to those because uh, I mean, you, you couldn't. Uh, the Bible is so such a marvelous book. You couldn't nail it any quicker than the way God does speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. In verse twenty-three, he says. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. Gentlemen, verse 23 is the world's value system. And verse 24 is God's value system. Simple as that. Let's spend a little time on verse 23. He says three things. He says, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, the mighty man and the rich man. Gentlemen, that's the way the world defines success in those three areas. First area, he says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. That's academics. That's the intelligency. That's, but if you don't grab another word, grab this word. Because it defines what the world system is run on, the basis of it. And the word is comparison. Comparison. Grab that, grab that word, comparison. Let me see if I can illustrate let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. You have a bachelor's degree, huh? Well, oh, you have a master's degree. You got a PhD? Oh, oh, you've got two PhDs. Hmm. Yeah. You've written what? Oh, you haven't written any books at all? Really? Ooh. Now I've got two and I'm working on another one. Oh, you've... You've written a dozen books. How many papers have you had published? See, the issue, gentlemen, isn't how much education or how much I know, it's how it compares to my environment. That's what the world says. 
Let not the mighty man boast in his might. That's power. That's position. You are uh, you're a teacher. Uh huh. Well, you know, I'm a I'm an assistant principal. Oh, you're a principal. Oh, you're a superintendent. Oh, you're a, an assistant uh, vice president, huh? Mm-hmm. Oh, you're a vice president. Oh, you're a president. Oh, you're the chairman of the board. What do we call a lobbyist? Power brokers. See, it's power, it's position. You're a, you're a youth pastor. Oh, really? Oh, you're the assistant pastor. Uh-huh. Oh, you're the senior pastor. Oh. That can be, that can be just as worldly if we're not careful. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Boast. King James uses the word glory. We all glory in something. We all boast in something. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. You, uh, you own your own company? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've got, uh, I've got 20 employees. Really? Yeah. Well, we're up to 300 and we're still trying to look for some more. Yeah. Yeah. You uh, did you make the million dollar round table last year? Oh, you didn't. Well, that's a shame. I, uh, you know, I'm going for my 14th year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're an attorney? Oh, really? Yeah. Are you a partner? No. You know, I made partner when I was 32 years old. You do, uh, you're a doctor? Yeah. Yeah, I see about uh, 20 patients a day. Well, we run, we average 60 to 70 patients a day through the clinic that I own. I have a net worth of a million dollars. Really? Well, I can remember when I had a net worth of a million dollars. Well, mine's up to about 100 million now. Yeah. And so it goes. It's all comparison, isn't it? It's not how much money you got. It's comparison. You're driving your significance out of that, your, your self-worth. Yeah, yeah. Let not the... Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Principle number one. Every man gives his life to one value system. Either value system 23, we'll call it, Jeremiah 23, or he gives it to Jeremiah 24. Now, we don't believe that, gentlemen. But on the authority of the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. Either you'll serve the one and hate the other, you'll hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And we've just talked about academics. Now, by the way, there's nothing wrong with academics. There's nothing wrong with Finances. There's nothing wrong with position and so on. Unless we're pursuing them to derive our significance and self-worth. Go back to Walt's three categories. If the first one is our self, our purpose, or our self-worth or acceptance, then there's, then there's something wrong. Not with those, they're, they're amoral. Whether you're vice president of a company or not, I mean, that position's an amoral deal. But it's how I respond to it. It's what I'm looking to. But 
We will give our lives to something, a value system. And the first thing we've got to remember, gentlemen, is Jesus says, that's in Matthew 6.24, you cannot serve uh, verse 23 and 24. You've got to make up your mind. It's one or the other. And you will serve one. And we think we can dodge back and forth. Jesus says, with no exception, you cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot, he said. So take him at his word. As Walt said yesterday, you know right now which one of those two value systems you're incorporating. Now, does that mean you've got it down pat? We're not talking about perfection, gentlemen. We are, because we all know that if perfection is the deal, we've all had it. You know, the party's over. The, the issue is intent. I want, I don't want to do that. Here's what I want. I want to serve God. I want to boast in knowing, understanding and knowing God. That's verse 24. That's our intent. That's how our heart beats. Do we falter back over? You bet your bippy we do. But when we figure it out and we get the negative feedback we're there, the first thing we do is we move right back over. So we're not talking about perfection. We're talking about intent, will. I will pursue God. He will be preeminent in my life. We can do that. Carry out the perfection of it? No, we're not going to get there. Second principle. Every man will sacrifice both himself and those around him for his value system. You don't just choose the value system. You give your life to it. And gentlemen, you're going to... And I'm going to give my life to a value system. That's, that's, a, that's already settled. Paul says in Romans 6... 16. Let me read for you. It says, do, not, do, you, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as a slave for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? We're not only going to make a, a willful decision which value system we're, gonna, we're going to serve but we're going to absolutely give our lives to it. We're going to sacrifice our lives to it. And those around us. Paul says in Romans 12.1, he says, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. <coughs> A living and holy sacrifice. See, that is Jeremiah 20, 24, 9, 24. Let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows God. Many of you maybe have heard this comment, this, this quote. It's from a guy who lost his life serving Christ, a guy named Jim Elliott. Jim had in focus. When he said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep. That's verse 23. To gain what he cannot lose. That's verse 24. Let me tell you about a guy. Just had uh, some time with him just recently. He's an entrepreneur, a very skilled, very shrewd. A professing Christian for several years. Um, for some reason, God has given me entrance into his life. Uh, not many men get that. And um, so uh, I sat down with him recently. And um, he was telling me how he'd made about $100 million in the last six, seven years. He was telling me about all the confusion in his life of guys suing him and uh, had all kinds of strife and people trying to screw him and uh, on and on and on. He told me about his health. 
how he'd lost uh, some of these facilities and, and how the, the health, he, he's in bad shape. By the way, the reason I went to him is because the word, the word around among the brothers was that uh, he was living with a gal. And I got appointed to go talk to him. Well, he wasn't living with her, but they were in immorality. And we talked about that. And every time I talk with this gentleman, you know what he boasts about or talks about? Boasts about, talks about? We all boast about it. Something, don't we? He talks about a deal he just made. And by the way, he'll talk about those that hit the number. There's some I know he has he doesn't want to talk about. We all, we all have those too. Or he's talking about his next deal he's just getting ready to put together. And he says, I love it. Well, let me ask you, rhetorically, are you in verse 23 or are you in verse 24? Let me give you a third principle. Every man will glory or boast and look for significance and purpose in his value system. Every man will glory or boast and look for his significance and purpose in his value system. Gentlemen, that's a given. And that's what makes it so tough with the job if we're not careful because we can get to believing that our significance is tied up in how we're doing in the business. And for you guys that work in the corporate world and with this thing of downsizing and mergers, you've seen how devastating that is to men's lives when... when um, things out of their control happen and uh, if they're deriving their significance and purpose out of that job they're just they're almost paralyzed some of them aren't they yeah yeah Paul says over in Romans 1 he says uh, for even though they knew God they did not honor him as God or give thanks but they came, became futile in their speculation, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible men, birds, four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. That's called idolatry. We've gotten more sophisticated. We just call our idol something else success ambition excellence you know this isn't a new deal new deal not a new deal let me just read for time's sake third temptation that Satan brought before Jesus in Matthew 4. Again, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Let not the wise man boast in his glory. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. That's what the King James says. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and he said to them all these things I will give you if there's a big if if you will fall down and worship me gentlemen you will worship your value system the only question is which value system is it and Jesus said to him begone Satan for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. That's verse 24, isn't it? Let me give you one more principle. 
You cannot, you cannot embrace the world's value system and have an imminent, intimate relationship with God. Don't kid yourself. You cannot embrace the world's value system and have an intimate relationship with God. It's interesting. Jesus asked... Jesus was asked by His disciples in Matthew 13. He says, Why do you speak to them in parables? And here's what He said. To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. Gentlemen, if we think we can embrace the world's value system and Jesus not talk to us in parables, we're kidding ourselves. We turn our backs upon God and embrace the world's value system. We lose our ability to understand and know God because John says, uh, Jesus said through John, He said, if, if any man is willing to do my will, then he will know of my teaching. God's illumination, or if you'll allow me to use revelation uh, in a very loose manner, follows obedience. God will never relate to a willful person. In fact, in the Old Testament, you never find a sacrifice for a willful person. A sacrifice for sin, but not for willful sin. And here's what here's what's sobering to me, men, is that we as a Christian can be in the Christian disciplines, the quiet time, the Bible study, even being teaching the Sunday school or what have you, and not have the anointing of God and not know it. The psalmist says in Psalm 103.7, He made His ways known to Moses, but His acts to the sons of Israel. He made his ways known to Moses. Moses saw what was going on. He saw the activities and the circumstances, but God let him know the bigger picture, what was going on. He had spiritual eyes. But he says, he made known his ways to Moses, but his acts to the sons of Israel. All they knew was, man, this thing, we're out of food, we're out of water, we're out of... What did they do? They grumbled. They were living under their circumstances instead of over their circumstances where God wants us to live. Or take this one down and read it on your own time, but Psalm 106.15, it says that God gave... I'm talking about Israel again. God gave them their requests, but sent leanness to their soul. friend of mine... Went to school with Billy Graham. I don't know Billy Graham, but I, I do know my friend. <laughs> and he said, he asked Billy, sometime back he had some time with Billy, and he asked Billy, he said, Billy, what's the thing you fear most in your life? And Billy was quick to come back, and he said, I fear most standing up before a group of people to preach the gospel and not have the anointing of God. Gentlemen, is that a concern of yours that leaving the house on Monday morning you won't have the hand of God on you? Well, that's the... That's the... Uh, how much time we got here? Let me, uh, if I can find a page, make some notes. Let me just give you a quick consequences. Consequences that if we embrace the world system. And then I want to take an illustration and look at the uh, uh, verse 24. Number one is you'll have increased, if you embrace the world's value system, you'll have increased uh, dis, uh, discontentment. You'll find yourself maybe being an overachiever to try to do that. Or you'll try to fake results 
so that you look better? Or you'll move to an environment where you compare better. My friend Garfield, you know my friend Garfield? He said, I have figured out dieting. Just hang around with fat cats. <laughs> and that's what we do. We just move, move into an environment where we look good. A second thing is we'll find ourselves using and manipulating people to try to get results. And you cannot use people and minister to them at the same time. <coughs> Won't happen. Third, TJ, would you come up? Uh, you can help me on this one. The third one is we'll find ourselves chameleons. <laughs> what I mean by that, we'll compartmentalize our thinking. And compartmentalizing our thinking, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you. <laughs> we'll, we'll com no, 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 just a minute. We'll compartmentalize our thinking. So we're one guy when we go to church. We're another guy when we go to work. We're another guy when we're on the golf course. We're, on another, guy, we're another guy when we're with our wife or our mother-in-law or with our kids. In fact, our jokes even change depending upon the environment. That's compartmentalized thinking. And to illustrate it, you see TJ. Look at this. Look at this. But as soon as TJ gets on the airplane, uh, I found this in his, uh, in his room. As soon as he gets on the airplane to head back for Colorado, put this on. No, no, the other way. Now there's no there's no relationship between the actor and the act. So I've just it was purely for Thanks for the cup. <laughs> <laughs> You won't wear it long as hot as it is in here. <laughs> Three more right quick on consequences, how it will begin to manifest itself. Four is we'll determine our significance or self-esteem out of what we do, out of the results of what we do. So I illustrated a while ago, a guy, he gets bumped out of his company. And if he's got all of his self-worth in there, man, it where he, a guy goes broke. Now, tell me, does he have less self-worth and significance than when he had money than when he didn't have money? From, no, not at all. But if that's where he's getting it, he does. Fifth is he will demand short-term feedback to measure our success, how we're doing. That'll force us into things like fads and fashions. We'll buy out of appearance, rather out instead of utility. And probably that'll affect our credit card <coughs> level. And the last one, you become slave to the world. See, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, there's three kinds of men. There's the natural man, which is without Christ. There is the carnal man, which is has a relationship with Christ, but he's embraced the, the world system. And then there's the spiritual man. Gentlemen, I'm here to tell you, of those three men, the carnal man is the most unhappy guy there is. Because it's like a football player that, that gets ready on, on Sunday... Sunday morning and he dresses with all his equipment to play the game. And then he heads over to the swimming pool to try to, to, uh, to go for a swim. God has not equipped us, gentlemen, to live in this cesspool we live in and embrace their system. And we'll be the most unhappiest people there are. Let's look at a... Let's look at the, a guy that embraced the other one. Verse, 20, verse 24, Let him who boasts, boast in this, 
that he understands and knows guys, God. And turn over with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Bible calls him a friend of God. I wouldn't mind God calling me his friend, would you? Let's let's just look at some verses here. But we want to look at I want to start with verse 8. And we're talking about our friend Abraham. I want to just give you three characteristics of Abraham's life right quick. First thing Abraham did is he took God at his word. Gentlemen, if we're going to pursue a relationship with God, if we're going to boast in understanding knowing God, then we've got to take him at his word. Notice in verse 8, It says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place where he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. God came to him when he was down in the Ur of Chaldees and said, I want you to go to a land I'll show you and I'll give it to you. Don't take anyone with you. So he took his wife and and a nephew and they left. But he took God as his word. God said, go, and he went. Notice verse 17. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. God says, take Isaac, your son, take him to Mount Moriah, and sacrifice him. Abraham took God at his word and went there. See, Abraham's value system was based upon what God said. God's word took precedence in his life. He responded in faith and obedience. And by the way, the Bible, the Bible, Hebrews 3, uses faith and obedience interchangeably. They're one and the same. So, let me give you an illustration of what I mean by we're going to have to be men that take God at His word. I was visiting with this guy, Christian guy, does a lot of work in his church, and he uh, just a couple weeks ago we were talking, and uh, so he said uh, he mentioned Pastor Jane, and I said, uh, Scott, I thought your pastor's name was John. He said, Well, it is, but this is his wife, and she's ordained too. And uh, she's a minister too. And I said, um, does she preach to the whole congregation? And he said, yes. And I said, well, let me ask you something. I'm just curious. What do you do with a passage in 1 Timothy 2.12 where Paul says, I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man? He says, what does that mean? I said, well, let me read it to you again. (laughs) I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Well, I've heard that thing explained. I says, well, what does that say? Well, I said, well, then... When Jesus says, do not commit adultery, what does that mean, Scott? What does that really mean? Jesus said, don't lie. What does that really mean? See, Abraham took God at his word. And he responded accordingly. And gentlemen, if we're going to be men of God and understand and know God, we're going to have to be men who take God at his word. I can't tell you how many times I've had this with men. More than I want to even think about. Guy hits about 40. He 
come and said, I need to talk to you. Oh, I've had these conversations. I'm going to, I'm going to trade my wife in for a newer model. Uh, Two twenty-year-olds. Yeah. <laughs> and I will say to them, and these are guys I've got in my Bible, Bible studies, so you can see how much help I am. <laughs> They will, I'll say, let's review. Let's review what the Lord Jesus says about this. We don't have to review it. I know. I know. I know God hates divorce. But God is a God of love and He doesn't want me to be unhappy. And I can tell you some sad, sad stories. Of the consequences of that. Gentlemen, there are tremendous consequences when we don't take God at His word. Abraham was a man who took God at His word and God said, Abraham's my friend. Let's look, let's look at a second. And T.J. preached my sermon already uh, earlier. Another quality of, of Abraham. Abraham had an alien mindset. Look at verse 9. By faith he lived as an alien in the promised land, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. He was an alien. He was in the promised land, but never owned any of it. It was interesting. Never put any roots down. Look at verse... See, look at verse 13. He's talking about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He says, All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. See, Abraham saw himself not as a citizen, so he didn't put any roots down. He didn't own any land. I remember one time my wife and I went to Jamaica to a conference. And uh, when we got to Jamaica, to, to said, see all those nice little houses right up there on the hill? I said, yeah. He said, well, our friend Fidel Castro built all those for us, you know. And I thought, whoa, I'm, I'm feeling uncomfortable now, you know. We get to the... The, the resort and so my wife and I go out on the beach and uh, there's soldiers with machine guns walking the beaches and that may be different in Jamaica now but that's the way it was when I was there and I thought about that you know I wasn't thinking about wonder how the market is here in real estate in Jamaica I wonder if there's any good deals or what if I could get myself established to begin to create something here? You know what I was thinking about? I was thinking about going home. Getting back on the good old USA soil where I was a citizen. And that's what Abraham did. He looked at everything around. This isn't my home. I'm not a citizen here. See, Abraham couldn't wait to get home. Look at verse 10. He was looking for a city which has foundations whose architect is builder and God. Look at verse 13. And he confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. But he said, having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance. Verse 14. He says, for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. Verse 16, but as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. And he has prepared a city for them. See, aliens, aliens, sojourners, are always thinking and striving to go home. Paul says in Philippians 3, he says, For our citizenship is in heaven, 
from which we are eagerly wait for our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, you have a male alien mindset? Third observation on Abraham. Abraham lived his life on the basis of God's character, of who God was. Let him who boasts, boasts in this city understands and knows God. Notice verse 19. Well, 17 through 19. 17... Well, let, me, let me put it in context here. Here we have Abraham, and God came to him back in Genesis, and he said, I'm going to make a, I'm going to make a, a promise to you. In, in, um, well, in 15, 15.6. Uh, and he takes him out and he says, Now, you see all these stars? He says, I'm going to give you as many descendants as you can see the stars of the sand of the sea. And it says, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. That's the point Abraham became a believer. And so he has this promise. And then he goes along and, and all, he never does get... He, he's got this promise, but he doesn't have any heirs. And so, what does he do? Well, you know, he and uh, Sarah cooked up this deal where he'd go into Hagar. And so now we got Ishmael, and now we got the Jews and the Arabs still fighting over the deal. You know. And so he says to God, God, I'll tell you what, it was in, the, in their culture, you took, the, if you didn't have a, an heir, then you took the head, the head, uh, I know we don't want to call him, the head servant. And if he'd been loyal to you for years, you might take him and appoint him and let him become your heir. So he said, I guess, I guess that's what I'm going to have to do. And God said, no, 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 no. One year from now, you're going to have your heir and your descendants will be through him. And you'll call him Isaac. And we know the story. 100-year-old Abraham and 90-year-old Sarah and she conceives and they have a son and we've got Isaac. Now that's the background. And so God's got a promise here and now he comes to Abraham and he says, alright, I want you to take Isaac. I want you to take him up on Mount Moriah and I want you to sacrifice him. I want you to kill him. <clears throat> now Abraham's got to be scratching his head. Lord, you made me a promise and now you're going to kill him? And you said it was going to be specifically through him. Notice verse 19. He considered that God is able. God is able. And Abraham was thinking, well, to raise men even from the dead. So Abraham's thinking, well, okay, I'm going to take him at his word. I'll kill him. But God's able to raise him from the dead. So he's seeing it that way. But he takes God at his word and does it. Because he says, God was able to take me out of a foreign country and bring me to the promised land. God was able to help me conceive a son when I'm a hundred years old. And so God is able to raise Isaac from the dead. Grab a hold of this, gentlemen. Let him who boasts, boasts in this, that he understands and knows God. Sometimes God will test us in ways that make absolutely no sense. They seem to violate even our understanding of the promises of God, as they did with Abraham. They didn't, that hadn't have, didn't make any sense to Abraham. Couldn't have. And not only that, it may even appear to, that he is violating his own character. God says, don't kill. And now he's saying, Abraham, I want you to kill Isaac. And gentlemen, there may be times in our lives that all we've got is understanding and knowing God, who he is. Everything else may look totally distorted, make no sense at all. And all we've got is the character of God. God is able. Let me give you an illustration. <coughs> True one. 
And I asked his permission if I could use it. And Boz Walt. <coughs> Walt lost his first son to leukemia when he was seven years old. And Walt tells the story that uh, after Walter died, that was the boy's name, he got a well-meaning letter from a uh, mature Christian guy, friend. And in the letter he said, Walt, he said, I don't understand why this happened, but I do know one thing. God doesn't kill little boys. And Walt said, I thought long, long and hard about that. And he said, you know, if God isn't responsible for that, then I've got a God that's out of control. And i got a lot bigger problem than losing my boy. And gentlemen, there's times when you've got to go back to the character of God, who He is. See, Walt understood that God's sovereign. God's omnipotent. And God is good. And that's all he had to cling on. And gentlemen, that's what Jeremiah is communi- communicating to us. Let not, let the man who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows God. Because God will probably give us all times when all we've got is the character of God. And gentlemen, if we haven't pursued that relationship and gotten to know Him and understand Him, then we'll be ill-equipped when those times come. See, if Walt hadn't understood the character of God and driven his stake and said that's all I got but that's all I need my grace is sufficient then he could have gone into bitterness anger and destroyed his life and his whole family's life thereafter that's what Jeremiah is saying gentlemen when he says let him who boasts boast in this that he understands and knows God Take God at His word, men. Ask God to help you develop an alien and a sojourner mentality. Well, you may be saying, "Gosh, you know, I've been I've been embracing the world system, but I do, I got I got to turn around. I got to go the other way. What do I do?" Well, let me, let me just throw out some suggestions to you. I think the first thing a man has to do is, I think Second uh, Corinthians 13.5, Paul suggests to the Corinthians to examine themselves to make sure that they're really in the faith. Secondly, Make a decision. Because, gentlemen, we do what we will to do. You look at a man's checkbook and his daytimer, and you'll tell, you can tell what's important to him. Because that's what he's doing. And the rest of it is religious gibberish. So make a decision. Call it surrender. But tell God, I'm going to pursue you at all costs. I don't care what it costs me. I want to understand and know you. Jesus said, He who gains his life shall lose it. He who loses his life shall gain it. And gentlemen, thirdly, Our value system 
our priorities, our convictions, whatever you want to call them, are a product of our truth system. What we believe is true. Whatever I believe is true will show itself in my priorities or my value system. And I will live out my value system. So if we want to, if we're having trouble living, uh, pursuing, understanding, and knowing God, then we got to change our truth system. Paul tells tells us in Romans that do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. Change your truth system, and your value system will change, and then the behavior will begin to change. But it starts with the will and the truth system. To do that, you've got to become a man of the book. Only through the Bible can you change your truth system. Only by changing your truth system will you change your value system. Let me just throw out some idea or two and then I'm going to quit. Do you have a reading program? Read through the Bible in a year, two years. Time, time isn't the issue. Reading the Bible through will give you perspective. And particularly reading through the Old Testament because it, it, it's over a larger span of time. And so you will begin to gain a, a clearer concept of the character of God reading through the Old Testament than the New Testament. You will, but, but the Old Testament. So reading will give you perspective. Then study. Are you studying the Bible? Do you know how to study it? It's a great book over here to show you how to study it. Get with some guys. Because studying the Bible will give you strength. That'll put fiber fiber in your soul. Are you memorizing Scripture? I don't know about you, but I'm so undisciplined. If I don't challenge a couple of brothers and have them hold me accountable, I won't do it. But it's the most profitable exercise I know. Because as you memorize Scripture, it's not the memory work that does, but once you get it, you find yourself thinking on it. And that's what the Bible calls meditation. And that changes you. Not only that, but now you got it in your arsenal, and so then you get out in the marketplace, and you're hit with something, and you don't have long to think about the thing, and the Holy Spirit has that already in reserve, because you've got it there, and He'll pull it up at the appropriate time, and it'll serve you. And you'll make right decisions when you wouldn't have otherwise. But if you don't memorize it, if it's not there, then see... Gentlemen, you can't put the old computer, the old sub, can't pull it up. It's the old garbage in, garbage out kind of a deal. Secondly, I'd encourage you that if you do not have some guys that hold you accountable, that you fellowship with, that love you, that'll be honest with you and you can be honest with them, maybe they serve as a discipline in some of your disciplines of quiet time or scripture memory or whatever even if you can just find one other brother that's decided he's going to pursue God at all costs then serve each other thirdly be actively involved in sharing the gospel with unbelievers all of you have heard that all of you believe it. I hope you're doing it. Because the unbeliever will help us test and refine or validate our truth system. If it's religion, he'll knock us right on our butt. But if it's authentic, he'll listen to us. The friend of mine used to say, Don and I, a friend of Don and I used to say that the, the non-believer will purify your doctrine. And there's some truth in that. 
The other thing it will do is it will force you into discipleship because evangelism always leads to discipleship. Discipleship, for the most part, won't lead you to evangelism. But it may lead you to a holy huddle, which is away from the non-believer. And we need the non-believer in our lives. And so it will put us in the discipling process and the discipling process. You know who gets discipled when you start meeting with another man and discipling him? Every time. You can't give away and not give. That's the, that's the principle. And you know what will happen out of that process of taking God at His Word, deciding that you're going to become a man of the book and you're going to pursue God at all costs. You'll begin to understand and know God. All of us will. And then our God will be the same God that Abraham had when he said, God is able. God is good. I'm safe. You know, Jesus is the only one that won't let us down, guys. All we got to do is just pursue Him. Our value system will determine our lifestyle and our eternity. You've had more than enough. Thanks, gentlemen.